Daffy, comics suck. Comics are okay. I like comics. Comics. They're not very good. What's wrong with comics? They don't pay people enough. Oh, you mean the big comic publishers. Yeah, they suck. Are you out of your mind? This is Insert Credit, a relentlessly on-topic video game podcast featuring a battle-hardened panel of video game experts addressing a smorgasbord of questions about the hobby and industry we hold so dear. These experts have six minutes to address each topic presented to them, with any time overage punished with the sound of a horrible buzzer. I'm Alex Jaffe, and the year that I probably played the most video games was... 2008. Oh, okay. I'm Frank Zavaldi, and the year that I probably played the most video games, I'm going to say 1999 when I was just going emulator crazy and trying all the ROMs. Mm-hmm. 1999? Are you out of your mind? Yeah, I was thinking about that. I'm Brandon Sheffield, and uh, this is a real tough one. I keep worrying that we're going to get referred to as video game sexperts. I, I, you ever have that? No, that's the Mabim Bam thing. I'm that, not stealing that. Problem. That. I keep, I keep, I keep worrying that that. I don't even know what Mabim Bam is. That sounds like. Well, who's who's gonna do that other than than Jaffe? And Jaffe's not. Yeah, I guess exactly. True. No one, no one considers us experts except for Alex Jaffe. No, but experts. Is the people problem. consider us experts, but nobody considers us sexperts. Ah, some I have people. Little worry. I'm fear. specifically an asexpert. So anyway. <laughs> For me, when did I play the most video games? That is a heck of a question that I do not know the answer to. I'm going to guess it was around 2006, 2007, when I was at the height of working at Game Developer Magazine. I was really just playing everything that came out and also playing all the Xbox Live Indie games for uh, research and so that somebody was playing them. But I don't know, it also could be I played a lot of Yakuza recently. Does that count? There's, there's a few hundred Yakuza games, yeah, right? I'm up to five now. Not my favorite one so far. Pretty high. Uh, well, we've got a guest joining us this week, uh, editorial director of Digital Eclipse. Uh, Chris Kohler is here with us on the show. Hello, that is me. I'm Chris Kohler. The year Hello. that I probably played the most video games was probably 2003, when I was literally just being paid by the government to sit in a house and play video games all day. Tell me about that. That was the, the year of my, my Fulbright scholarship in Japan when I had pitched uh, my book Power mm. Up and basically like, so I didn't have to, it's like I didn't have to, I didn't have a job. I didn't have classes to go to because I was out of school. I literally was just being paid to write this book. And so... I mean, I could just sit at home and play video games all day if, if I wanted to. Didn't we meet there, actually? In uh, yes. So we we met in real life because you and I think, I guess, your girlfriend at the time were kind of yeah. like backpacking it around Japan and uh, came to Kyoto where I was living and stayed over one night. Yeah, man. I, I forgot that we actually stayed there. You stayed there and you had bought an FM Towns Marty uh and in your travels around japan and I, you hadn't really tried it out yet so you hooked it up to my tv and we tried out oh, the, yes. the fm towns marty yeah that's right and we got confused by the menus that's right that does sound on brand coming up on the 20th anniversary of that fateful meeting it's true i've actually got i have a, a bunch of um videos because i also bought a digital camera that trip and so i have these crappy shaky cam videos and you are in some of them playing oh, I a, bet. playing a flute or something oh my gosh yeah that sounds about <laughs> right <laughs> Yeah, I just had to look at those because we were, uh, Esper and I are, are using those videos, not the ones with you in them, uh, for, <laughs> for a thing. I, I specifically cropped out all the ones that had people whose faces I could recognize. Gotcha. Special thing. Look forward to that. Uh, Patreon subscribers, I suppose. And maybe, and maybe more. more. So, Chris, 
what I didn't tell you about this podcast, as I briefed you before the show, oh, is gosh. that I'm secretly going to be grading all of you on your responses throughout the episode. And whoever does the best uh, wins the episode. And the reward is that they get to come up with a question for next week's episode. Okay. Uh, we have two winners to deal with this week because uh, one uh, got waylaid by a special episode. Uh, so I have a holdover question from Matthew Kumar this week. And uh, later in the episode, I'm going to ask Brandon for his question for uh, winning last week. I won something? Forget. Uh, you won uh, with uh, Young Spoiled Children's oh, Bastard right. Academy. Remember yeah, that? I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Is this so, question going to be about sensible world of soccer? <laughs> <laughs> it could be, depending on uh, where your life path has taken you to this okay. point. Okay. I'm not going to do the Scottish accent, so you're going to yeah, have please, to picture that in your don't. mind. Matthew Kumar says, Hi, friends. So a few weeks ago, I was going through boxes at my parents' place because I wanted to access my childhood and teenage game collection again. Imagine my horror when I discovered I was missing loads of Dreamcast games that I had for years believed myself to own. I went through all the boxes and have come to the conclusion that I, in the past, sold off a lot of them rather than packing them away. So my question is, are there any phantom games in your collection? Games you were sure you owned, but a past version of you disposed of without current use knowledge? Oh yeah, they're in there all right. But some of those are very troubling to me. It's like, for example, where is my Japanese Dreamcast? Who's got it? I don't have it. I didn't sell it. Where the heck is it? Did I, I believe I lent it to Chris <laughs> Woodard at some point. Chris Woodard, who has also been on the show and uh, was an mm -hmm, old Instagram mm -hmm. person. I believe I lent it to him. He probably buried it in the backyard. Did, did he bury it and uh, grow a Dreamcast tree? If so, where are my Japanese Dreamcast fruits? Still have that FM Towns Marty? I have one of the two that I purchased during that time. I don't really do this now, but at the time I was like, I have a very limited amount of money. And so I went up borrowing some money from my then girlfriend, I believe is what I did. And I was like, this will be okay because I'm going to... I'm going to buy two Martys and I will sell one in the United States to pay for both of them. And that did work on multiple occasions. Um, That's good. I do still have that FM Towns, but I don't have the other one that I bought. I bought two. Yeah, it's hard for me to answer because I just intentionally don't have physical games. I have some, but... Do you lose any ROMs, Frank? <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, something. I have. Um, we should, you know, I so. should say, like, we've, we've done the story of when did I actually meet uh, IRL um, Brandon. I met Frank IRL. Uh, I believe just the next year, uh, because I went to Classic Gaming Expo in Las Vegas, and that was when Frank um, was. I always find this very mm -hmm. funny that I, I met Frank in the transitory period of his life when he decided that he was not, he was no longer going to collect video games, and he brought two thousand two, two thousand two. Okay, so it was the year before. Um, yeah, because they did go to that CGA. Okay, and so he brought all of his NES games uh, to Classic Gaming Expo. And this is the worst time to sell NES games because people at Classic Gaming Expo were like, NES isn't classic. Only only Atari era is classic. And so well, I actually bought I've got Frank's uh, Donkey Kong classics and Frank's Adventures of Lolo. I really specifically remember buying those for like no money from Frank Cifaldi. You know what he had at the show was I think maybe multiple bundles of just every Sachin game. Like, oh, yeah, all the Sachin cartridges, all the boxes flat, all the manuals. But I had a complete Sachin collection for $500. But to be clear, there was no way that I was ever going to spend $500 on a complete set of Sachin games at CG 2002. I spent 10 bucks on two NES games that I kind of wanted, and that was it. <laughs> I remember you buying more than that, but maybe not. Oh, I probably, it probably, it was probably more. I just, I only remember those two. I mean, I had a Donkey Kong Jr. math complete for like 40 bucks or something. I, I did like not, I did not get, get that. that. I would have bought, I would have, yeah. 
Losing a ROM, yes. Uh, I mean, I mean, it's a little bit embarrassing to admit, but yeah, I have dumped some games that I've lost. <laughs> Video game preservation is hard, even for the people doing it. It is. <laughs> yeah. So the the one that comes to mind for me is that in in my pursuit of of having very clean digital copies of every unreleased NES game available, I went and backtracked and. There, there was this common practice for a while of people taking unreleased games and like modifying the title screen to say like made by me um, and like selling them on cartridges. Mm-hmm. And like that was the only ROM available was like someone's, you know, vandalized version. Um, and so I was going through and like replacing every vandalized game with a clean ROM by kind of going back to the source or like asking nicely to the people who currently on the prototypes, et cetera, and uh, have all of them except for Hoppin' Mad. Uh, which I did dump at one point. I swear, I just have no record of it other than I took a video of me dumping it. So <laughs> I don't know what happened to that ROM or when I would have deleted data, but it is definitely gone. Too bad. How does that make you feel? Uh, I don't It's fine. <laughs> like, after I mean, you, you do preservation as your primary thing for 20 years, you realize, like, yeah, stuff gets lost. Like, I am also part of the process that I am trying to fix. Are you <laughs> sure it doesn't make you feel hopping mad? Uh, no, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. The, the game's terrible. I don't care. Well, fortunately, Frank, being part of the problem keeps you in business. That's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you do your job too well, oh, no, we've preserved all of video games. <laughs> There's no reason to exist If you lose anymore. it, you can fi- find it twice, and then uh, you, you mm-hmm. can tell the story again. <laughs> I, I have some mm. more Phantom Ones, which is... I, I believe I've told this on the on the show before, but there there was this one time I was trading DS and GBA games with people in the office. People wound up not bringing their games that day, and but I had a bunch of games that I was gonna like not permanently trade, but like swap to to try and then return later. Uh, I had a bunch of these games in my bag, and then I went to a some game event. I don't remember. It was some one of the random types that. We used to that all three of us used to go to like for Turtle Beach or whatever. Who who cares? Oh, and, one of those. Uh, I put my bag. <laughs> yeah, one of those. I put my bag down behind a curtain because there was no bag check and uh, and it, and it got stolen. Yeah, that's the sound of them getting right. stolen. I'm looking over here no, at this Metroid pinball for DS. I bet there's no game in there. I'm just gonna... Let's find out. Let's find out. Yeah, there's no game. All right. Sucks. Uh, speaking of video game preservation. Okay. What sectors of video game history are in the most dire need of preservation and restoration? The cool ones. <laughs> Only the cool ones, please. Um, Saturn. Saturn's fine, dude. Um, it's dire to me. The obvious answer is all of the like games as service games. That's true. Um, anything that that isn't available as a complete you know experience offline. Yeah, that means stuff like okay, an MMO where you have to talk to the server to get the data you need to even play the game but i think that also includes the community playing the game right um so i think what's most needed is a uh concentrated effort to catalog and 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 maintain a video record of 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 games like fortnite for example i you know Mm -hmm. I, i know there's a lot of you know, probably archived Twitch streams of every update of Fortnite or whatever, but it's like, is that going to be true in 10 years? Like, is anyone actually collecting and cataloging all of these so that we understand the evolution of, you know, the most important game of right now? I don't know. I'm mad at Fortnite this week, so... uh... We'll talk about (laughs) it. (laughs) Okay, but I agree. Frank is right. Got to be thems. And also the free-to-play games, like, once those go offline, you know, like, I, I still have 
the game I've mentioned many times on this show because I became number two in the world at it, uh, Princess Pajama on my iPad. Yeah. But the only reason I can play it is because I have an older iPad and I haven't updated it. If it were OS, iOS, whatever the OS X for iOS is, if it were updated in the last five years, you wouldn't be able to play that game anymore. Even though I can play that game, I can't purchase microtransactions if I want to, um, which is part of the experience. The leaderboards don't exist. Aren't They aren't going to be updated. So those games are, it, it's tough because they're the most difficult things to preserve. But I also think most of the people that are interested in game preservation right now aren't super interested in preserving those. Um, they're a little more interested in NES game stuff. W- would you agree with that? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not yeah. interested. But it's not like, oh, it's not important. Right. It's like I have finite resources. <laughs> and it's just speaking for the foundation, I guess. It's like we have one and a half full time people and it's going to be two very soon. Um, Ooh, you're hiring another half time person. Yeah, exactly. No, the half is becoming whole. Uh, you know, we're, we're so small that we have to concentrate on what it is that we can have the biggest impact on. And that's not doing like an iPad donation drive to rip games off of them. You know, like that's, that, that's just not what we are capable of doing. And it's all of preservation is just people rolling up their sleeves and figuring out how to do the work. And, and, uh, uh, all resources are finite and and uh unfortunately things just die as as discussed with hop and mad that's just the nature of it and you got to learn to accept it and roll with it and just do what you're good at speaking of donations another big one is uh java games and especially like all the ntt mm-hmm. docomo and imode games in japan like a lot of those things are just the only place they exist it's on some old phone which is probably in landfill yeah no not a landfill they are recycled into olympic medals oh right yeah. Right. And it's like you got Ooh. you have to you have to do what you're passionate about as well. I mean, ultimately, you know, Frank, I mean, you know, you're very passionate about the NES and, you know, things things in that area. And I mean, if you were trying to do the same work that you're doing, but doing it about Java games that you hated, you know what I mean? You would burn out so much yeah, faster. Exactly. I mean, nobody's nobody's getting paid off of this. No one will ever get paid off of this. So it's like you have yeah. to be able to leverage the fact that people are doing it um, out of out of passion. And, you know, a lot of people are doing it. You know, you're, you're going to have two full time people working on it, which is like two more than there ever have been. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that's absolutely true. And it's, it's not just burnout. It's just that like, if I like what I'm doing, I'm going to do more of it faster. So that's just what it comes down to in all things in life. I think live your life that way, folks. I guess preservationism as a pursuit is, uh, going after stuff that you miss from your own formative years. So it's just in general, you're not going to find a lot of people pursuing games that still exist in some form. Yeah. I don't know. You might. It's just always going to be chasing the already disappeared past. Yeah. If we're talking about non-funded, you know what I mean? Like if we're talking about people yeah. just doing it on their own because they care. Yes, of course. But um, it, we have to get to where these things are, are, are funded and are like the, the film archive or, or something where they're, they're it's just Yeah, we have jobs. to basically uh, restructure the entire country so that there is arts funding yeah. um, and then go from yeah, there. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. That's a good uh, idea. And, but in the meantime, uh, we're just scraping for like Patreon dollars right, and stuff. Right. So uh, you get what you get. Right. I have another good one here, though, which is, no, I'm going to say it. Exactly. I'm, I'm going to keep, <laughs> I'm going to do it because I really want to talk about the Taito X, X55, which is a Taito's karaoke machine uh, that yeah. had downloadable video games 
Uh, it was it was in 1995, and the first version of Cleopatra's Fortune, which is a game that I like, uh, came out on that. And all of those games were theoretically not even supposed to be stored past the session in which you use them, because you rented them by the session. So to preserve those games is basically impossible. There's there's anecdotal evidence of them. There's news articles about it, but none of the games are saved, and it it seemed the path to finding them would be impossible very very difficult too bad all right i'm uh bumping this question up in the order because uh brandon is raring to talk about it uh fortnite is rolling out a new game mode with striking similarities to the gameplay of among us as some people have pointed out this is not the first time fortnite has made such a move uh so what i'd like to ask is where is the line between iterating on an idea and stealing an idea it's a tough line to describe it's not a tough line to place this no. particular thing on either side of no this one's definitely in the stealing camp if you wind up using the same or very similar numbers and very same or similar maps then you're you know it's it's very clear what side that line you're on but it does get a little weird when it's like for example might and magic clash of heroes is an excellent puzzle game that i really like which is the the technical mechanical aspect of it is very similar to uh, Magical Drop or Money Idol Exchanger or similar. But the the input mechanism, I should say, you you pull things down, you throw them back up. But what you actually do is wind up forming forming troops in lines and then walls in horizontal lines. And functionally, it plays quite differently. And the way you think about the game is super different. So there, it's very clearly iterative, even though you know, if this were like 1992, they might call it a, a Magical Drop clone if Magical Drop were more popular. But it's, it's, we called FPS's Doom clones for quite mm-hmm. a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A drop-like. Yeah. So yeah, where is the line? Depends on the game. But I guess it also depends on the intention. Like, I don't think that Might and Magic Clash of Heroes developers went out to be like, we really need to capitalize on the popularity of Magical Drop. <laughs> it's time. It's time to do something in a similar vein. It inspired them to think of something else. And it's clear that it inspired them to think of something else. Is uh, Fortnite entire Battle Royale mode iterative of PUBG? Or is it just no, it, that? It, I mean, it's a little of both because and that one's extra complicated because PUBG was working with Unity engineers to make that. I mean, not Unity, um, Unreal. Sorry, my brain. So like there's an even greater case for like uh, code and intellectual property theft because they were theoretically working on it together wow the idea of battle royale wasn't first done in in PUBG either but the way in which fortnite grabbed it was mm-hmm. remarkably similar to PUBG's implementation it's it's a good lesson to learn it's a moral question not a legal question because the current legal thought process that's that well, that's really been in place for almost the whole video game industry is that no gameplay mechanics are not protectable um, right. And so that if you do go forward with something that is that that is brand new like this, you have to assume at this point that even the world's biggest video game companies may um, may may make a copy of those of those mechanics. And there's there's not much you can really do about it. Right. Like Tetris has they they had to go down to copywriting like the block shapes. What was it? Something like that. That Like they have some very specific things that are like, this is a Tetris game. And if you do these things, then you're infringing on us. But if you if you avoid those things just barely, then you're not. Mm. I think my line might be like, um, how blatant is the intention of 
of copy. Yeah, I think intention is really important. So like I would, you know, absolutely call this stealing. Um, I would call all the threes clones stealing. Um, yeah. I wouldn't call Zuma stealing because um, it's just like they were kind of looking at forgotten, discarded ideas. And like, yeah, that it's very much puzzle loop. But I don't think the intention was like, oh, cash in on 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 the puzzle loop. Craze. I think you can still steal something if it's not popular right now. Like if you see something and you're like, this didn't get its due, I'm going to do the exact same thing, but it will be more popular. Uh, I think that's still stealing. I would consider Zuma stealing personally. Yeah, maybe. Chris, is Zuma stealing? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. I really don't know. You know, it's just because if enough people steal from everybody else, you know, you, you end up with a genre. You know what I mean? It's it's one of those things where mm -hmm. I want to encourage that sort of creativity and iteration on things because after uh, Oendon and Elite Meat Agents came out, you immediately saw a lot of other music games uh, using that exact same uh, interface on the DS. And of course, you know, it's obviously where they got the inspiration from. I wish one of them was decent. Right, right, right. <laughs> They're yeah. all bad. So the moral is, if you're going to steal, at least do it well. Or have the courtesy to not do it well, so everybody just goes back to the original. Right. Yeah, that, that's a good one. Too. Right. Either one. Either do it really well or really badly. What are some unmade mundane simulator games that are out there waiting to happen? Hmm. Shoe tying simulator. <laughs> waiting for the bus and stuff happens. I don't know. There you go. Like, sometimes Totoro's there. <laughs> That'd be cute. Sometimes... You know, weirdos walk by. The most exciting thing that happens is uh, sometimes when the bus, you know, pulls up, uh, the door is right in front of you instead of to the side of you. And uh, you get you get points because the bus chose you. Or it's the wrong bus. Mm -hmm. And you yeah. could like you have to check. Well, you don't know what happens after you get on the bus that after you get on the bus, your journey's over. Uh, this is a bus waiting simulator, not a bus riding simulator. Yeah, but you have to get on the right bus. Okay, okay. That's part of waiting for a bus. Yeah, you get a bad ending. Yeah. I'm imagining a, uh, a, a massively multiplayer Dencha de Go. W one player is the conductor and everybody else is the passengers and they have to wait for the right train and uh, get on and off at the right stop and they're trying to get to their business meeting on time. Oh, that's fun. Has there been a cash register simulator that anybody knows about? Like, I feel like that could be really fun. Um, I mean, maybe it's in VR. Maybe it's like Papers, Please, but it's a cash register. I was going to say, it's absolutely, there's like 12 of those on Steam right now. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know that for a fact, but I know it. Especially if it's an old school cash register sort of simulator, or maybe it's scanning stuff. I mean, I, you know, I'm old enough that I can say that I, when I worked at a grocery store, we had, you know, scanners had been invented, but they had not come to the grocery store the little independent grocery store that i worked at so it was literally every item had a price tag on it and my you know they, they came down the line and i had to look for the price tag and enter it in manually which you know listen if you're gonna hire uh, a bunch of random 16 year olds to do that for you like <laughs> you're gonna lose some money not because they're stealing from you but because like that whole system uh just just has so many holes in it even if somebody's trying to be honest they're going to miss something every time it sounds much less mundane to me than barcode yeah, scanning it is it is of course when we finally got the barcode scanners it was like oh my god heaven i don't have to like tap with my fingers anymore on this on this this keyboard but i will say like it, you don't want to do it for eight hours a day you know what i mean unless you're a high school student but like to do it in a video game format would probably be interesting. I keep unfortunately getting outside of the mundane. I've been watching this 
F1 Netflix show, and I was thinking about an mm. F1 pit stop simulator. That, that probably already exists. I feel like the rise in profession-based uh, elimination reality shows, you know, from the 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 one where they're glass the blown away where they're doing glass blowing forged in fire where they're making knives and swords and things like that yeah like I think every one of those is an inspiration for a, a good simulation probably a VR simulation game I'd do the glass blowing one yeah oh yeah is there like a car restoration game well I mean yeah I'm sure there is there's there's like power washing simulators and stuff but that stuff. It just doesn't feel that mundane. It feels mm-hmm. like it's like yeah. subreddit oddly satisfying and not mundane. Right. Um, and Shenmue is mundane as a game because mm-hmm. it's a it's a game yeah. about like being poor and having to wait for stuff. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, so like that to me is mundane. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I like the cash register thing. And just like Shenmue, it, if you if you go cra- if you go deep and you capture every little detail of it, that's what can make it really interesting. Like the, I was just talking about this in another podcast, but like the Shenmue, it was like you couldn't do everything in Shenmue, but everything that you could do was simulated down to the last little detail. Like that's why buying a Coke out of a vending machine in Shenmue was so interesting. It wasn't just because you could do it. It was because literally you walk up to the vending machine, you you press the button, you select what you want, you see it come out of the machine. He, he takes it out with animation. He cracks open the tab with him. You know what I mean? Every every little step in the process happens. And it's like, how do you recreate everything in real uh, that, that happens in real life? And that's what gets very interesting about it. It's weird that you bring this up on another podcast because this is the only video. Game. The right, only one. right, right. It's weird how that was simultaneously what was fascinating about Shenmue and also what was massively, massively boring about it. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like. It's cool that it's both at once, both of those. Yeah, something can be boring and good. Yeah, I mean, playing the remake, that's just what I was struck by. Like, when I played it at the time, it was just like, wow, you could do anything. I'm so high. But <laughs> it, um, but playing it now is like, wow, this is so interesting how this design is intentionally making me bored. Like, it's it's on purpose. And it's like, I'm in this tiny crappy candy store just picking up candy to look at it because i have literally nothing to do but wait Mm -hmm. so i'm just gonna look at this candy and think about it yeah i felt so guilty for feeling that way with the original shenmue i was like i I know i'm supposed to like this but i'm so poor yeah uh so there's a recent trend in professional wrestling audiences of bringing in a sign with a controversial rpg opinion on it Anything from nine is the best Final Fantasy to the worst Fire Emblem is better than the best Paper Mario. If you were at a wrestling event, what would you put on your sign? Ansel Mother 3. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> wow. That one. I saw somebody recently had uh, Panzer Dragon Saga uh, is better than Final Fantasy 7. I like it. That, I feel like that person stole mine. <laughs> It would probably be some controversial Final Fantasy opinion or something like that. But I mean, I feel like I've been doing a lot of work trying to get, um, you know, Final Fantasy V is the best Final Fantasy to not actually be a controversial opinion anymore. <laughs> I think I would do something like any RPG is better than Persona 5. <laughs> I would do something like that. Wow. Uh, <laughs> the new Final Fantasy sprites are pretty good. Uh, fire, fire Akitoshi Kawazu. Yeah. I love the new fonts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs>
Uh, I would put uh, grinding is nice. Uh, some people believe that. Though. Yeah, it's relaxing. Well, there's a, there's a uh, there was a, I think it was an article or a Twitter thread or something like that, or maybe I, I don't know. I don't know where I read this. Probably a Twitter thread about grinding versus uh, whittling. You know, grinding being something that is uh, painful, but you're you're just sort of pushing yourself to do it, versus whittling being something that is uh, is made to be relaxing. Yeah, that sounds good. Mm-hmm. That makes sense to me. That's yep. good. Grinding is a great thing for when you're on a long phone call with your family that you, uh, you know, you just kind of wish you could be doing one other thing. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yes, while absolutely. that's going on. And grinding, grinding is is great for that. And sometimes I'm like, man, I wish I had something I could grind in right now because I know this is going to be a long conversation. Oh, that's really good. Like I try to do work or something, but then it, I realize I'm not paying attention, and then like things have to be repeated, and then the phone calls longer. Mm-hmm. Right. But if you're just grinding away in, yeah. uh, in castlevania or a dragon quest or yep. whatever and you're just hitting the buttons that you know you're gonna hit right 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 yeah it's but i'm know. doing some you know bullshit in final fantasy 5 like um you know with the with the statues where you can um you know just just get ridiculous amounts of avp just by casting level 5 death on them you don't have to think about that i'll just watch tv and i'll just do that for like an hour or two you know just and then and like oh look all my characters are extremely powerful now i didn't have to think about that that's cool i like that stuff mm-hmm. what was the question Oh, it was a controversial. Uh, signs on wrestling yeah. That's right. uh, events. That's right, man. There's got to be some some real weird ones you could have with like Quest sixty four best RPG ever. I don't know. Fantasy um, Star three is the best one. Right there we go. I think I saw Quest sixty four is better than Final Fantasy seven hmm. or some Sacred Cow. Maybe then what I would do is have some just ultra obscure stuff like Cosmic Fantasy four. Part one mm-hmm. is better than Linda Cubed. Which isn't true. Yep, <laughs> just no, nobody would have any idea what I was talking about. Yep, that sounds pretty. I'm good. still sticking with Cancel Mother Three. I haven't. No, that's that would be great. Yeah, that's got the that's point for good. that yep. one. It is a good one. All right. In fact, I think we should move on because we just bring back the Bonk RPG. It's not controversial. Yeah. Everyone wants that. Oh, uh, looks like it's time for the break. Uh, we'll be back after a quick rest. After these messages, be right back. Right back. want to get a drink chris kohler now is the i time. got one sitting right here if you'd like to use the bathroom chris kohler now is the nope time. i just pee my pants i'm not fast uh if you'd like to grind out another level in dragon quest now is the time that i will do welcome back to the insert credit show we're here in episode 199 with brandon sheffield and frank zapaldi and chris kohler and it's time to head into the dirt bag uh, the old every single week we take one question submitted to our generous patrons at patreon.com slash insert credit where you can subscribe for just three dollars a month for access to this form where you can submit questions access to our regular episodes one day early uh oh yeah chris Cole, you say one day early but that. like no yeah like like solid snake yeah, like you're... but not oh, but just like one day okay, early okay. all right yeah you want to set me up for it again uh no just do it <clears throat> one day early Nice. One day early and uh, even access to monthly exclusive bonus episodes and other treats like the terrible strawberry candy. Like we we <laughs> yeah. actually mail those to you. And we mail, mm. we mail one at a time uh, once a day. And by the until way, you stop. You can also subscribe for more than three dollars if you want to. That, you could. That, yes. Be, but um, cool I think people are 
unsure of how much of a commitment we ask. But uh, for eight hundred dollars a month, you, you get episodes three months early. <laughs> three months early. That's right. Three months early. That reminds me, a uh, friend of the show and previous guest Lottie May recently sent me a bag of magic stars in the mail oh, after nice. I recommended her uh, magic star rating thread. I'm saving them. Uh, they're in the freezer, which is the best place to keep candy. Uh, don't at me. I don't know about chocolate. No, chocolate especially. Mm, yeah, agreed. I'm not on board with this. Well, you're wrong. Seasons asks, why and when did we start calling old games retro? Ooh. Mm, I don't want to know the answer. <laughs> Because it is, it's it's incorrect, right? It's not, you would apply that to a new product that is a throwback, like retro clothing would be like, I just made this today and it's sort of a throwback to, you know, an older era. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah but uh, I think the term has changed. Buying new 60s looking clothes is kind of the same as buying a used 80s video game. Mm-hmm. So I, I, don't, I think it still applies. I don't think it's incorrect. Yeah. No, I think that would be vintage right uh okay all right okay like yeah. vintage okay. vintage is more like retro just has that connotation or maybe even the the actual de- definition of being throwback versus vintage which it means old yeah we should just call them old video games can we just start calling them old where's the cutoff that's a different question yeah there's that company that was called older games and uh they they could have had that be the term yeah they had uh stuck around like retro knots we can rename it to old knots i'll let you Jer- i'll let i'll let parish yeah. know we got to do that get them on the horn the proverbial horn um what was the question again? <laughs> uh, uh, why do we call old games retro games? Oh, yeah. I don't know. And, and when? And when did it start? And when, and when did that? it start and who did it? Who do we blame? Who do we blame? Yeah. Well, when did Retronauts begin? Because <laughs> it's earlier than that. 2006. Yeah, so it's before that. So it's before that. Yeah. So we know at least it's earlier than that. I feel like I, feel like I didn't hear it in the 90s, mm-hmm. personally. Because like maybe at some point we went from classic to retro classic yeah. gaming to retro gaming because I don't remember hearing Atari games and in television games referred to as retro. I think NES was the first era once that got old enough that NES became retro, right? Uh, I don't know. Like I, I'm sure that people in the the early '90s called Atari games retro. I don't. I, I can't so? substantiate it. I'm literally trying right now on the Internet Archive. Yeah, I see like retro games dot. CC and CZ date back to like 1994 mm-hmm. and 1996. Wow. Okay. okay. Yeah. Good. Good research. I like that. It's just, it's just always been with us, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess it would have to, it couldn't Because be... in the eighties, in the eighties, I mean, Atari stuff was still on shelves. You know what I mean? Yeah. So only in the 1990s would we even have a concept of there even being a, a category of video games that we would call classic games. Uh, Slug Russell's Space War was very retro when I was uh, in the 70s. Classic was referred to pretty early, I think. Oh, like, sorry. You know, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess not not classic, but like, I don't know, like in the 80s, in the 80s, people talk about classic video games, meaning like from a different era. It, it all it all felt like. Yeah, it was... I mean, there, there's definitely some magazine articles from the mm-hmm. 80s about classic games. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh from like five years yeah prior. so do they mean like this older era of video gaming or yeah. do they oh they do okay well. i mean i can't i wish i could point to something right. specific, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I well mean, there's uh, my memory says that there's definitely something in like electronic games about classic interesting games, uh like classic arcade wow i guess stuff was moving along at a faster clip in a certain way at that time right it was like right right oh but we got this new transistor and now everything's different throwback to the era of yeah two weeks ago mm-hmm. back when games were good <laughs> you know you remember like 
you just get a game and like you turn it on and it would just play and like you wouldn't have to patch it. Like, <laughs> gosh, it was so much better. It's just why can't we return to those days? Those uh, those YouTubers tell you what heck them all into space. Not that they not so they'd die, but just so that they can't um try to get their YouTube videos up in my algorithms. My my favorite sort of spin-off joke about that thing is well, it's not even a joke. It's that um that that totally fake Coleco chameleon thing. Um one of the requirements uh, for making games for this, which no one ever even attempted to do because there was never a system, was that it cannot have any bugs. Right. Oh, right. Well, because you can't patch it. So, I mean, obviously, yeah. you would just make no. Be like the old yeah. days. There were no there bugs, were no bugs in, in those days. games. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do remember, uh, you know, when, of course, you know, being on the internet when the original Xbox was, was coming out and people were like, they're putting a hard drive in every box. Just you wait. That means they're going to console games are going to ship unfinished and they're going to have to they're just going to plan on patching them. You know, when they come out, they're going to sell you a buggy game and then they're just going to don't worry, we're going to patch it. That's ridiculous. And that turned out. Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously that never happened. So no one's ever done that before. No, their concerns were completely unfounded. I wouldn't do that. The end. Please don't play uh, the unpatched version of any game I've ever worked on. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> that's fine. Uh, there's a lot of controversy right now over the level of trigger warnings and content warnings needed in video games and how smaller studios tend to be held to higher standards than larger ones. Wait, are we talking about SJWs right now? Yes. We are, in fact, talking Ooh, about okay. SJWs. Okay, let's, let's roll, boys. Let's roll, babies. Uh, what's the solution here? What do we? How do we crack this nut? Well, I just want to kind of address the, the Boyfriend Dungeon situation because it's it's a little weird to me and it's a little difficult to talk about because the controversy as pitched is that in Boyfriend Dungeon, there is some like docking and stuff from a character that happens that is traumatic to people in a game that they assumed and w which was sort of pitched as like a light and airy game experience. But of course, there is value to making people uncomfortable with art and that's what they were trying to do and so they actually did have pretty good content warnings but then they made them more explicit but the thing that has bothered me about this conversation is that there have been a lot of folks out there including myself who've been really up in arms about the idea that people should be able to share their art they should be especially marginalized people should be able to put forward an example of their trauma as a piece of art that is something that you will think about that will inspire you to think and so people should should be able to make these kinds of experiences but the part that that bugs me is that i can't find that many people that were saying you shouldn't do that and i actually talked about this with uh, ash parish who's been on this show many times she's our good friend she found some examples of of people getting in there and some people making some some decent points about like if if you especially if you thought it was going to be one kind of game and it winds up being another then it can be it can blindside you but what i worry about is that we got such a huge number of people saying like everyone's telling us that we can't make our art and that's terrible and like all the big retweeted things were like, you must be able to tell your story. And these people that are trying to stop us, uh, you know, shouldn't shouldn't be able to or like it, every this is limiting us and everything. And it made me feel like we were putting outsized importance on a small group of people that were maybe not even making statements that were that bold. And in the process, we wind up making people feel like they're less able to put their art out there because we're saying that there's this force that's out there that's trying to stop you and i'm not sure that force trying to stop us 
is that big, but we may have made it larger, appear much larger than it was because we were all so upset about it. So that's long string of text that I have about that because it's it's been weighing on my mind and I I'm a little worried at my own complicity in perpetuating this idea sure. that there's a big group of people out there trying to stop us from from doing art about difficult subjects and uh, going and looking for it. I did not find as much of it as I found, you know, the opposite. I bring this up because I think I've solved it. Me and me alone. I think I know what we have to do about this. Have it. Let's, let's have it. And I'd like to put that out to the audience. And I can't wait for everyone to tell me why I'm wrong. <laughs> Here's the thing. Content warnings are absolutely valid. They're absolutely important. Everyone has the trauma that they've gone through and uh, things that can set them off that are just not experiences that uh, the developer might have even had in mind. It's all very important. I want to say that. It's good to have trigger warnings and content warnings. Uh, but there is a website you may be familiar with called DoesTheDogDie.com. Are you familiar with this website? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, it is a website that started as a way to check uh, whatever movie you're about to see, if a dog dies in it. But it has expanded over the past few years to cover all kinds of content warnings, things that can set people off and that you want to go out of your way to avoid. So it can keep the art itself from having to over-explain or express its own potentially upsetting concepts and provide that resource for people who need it. If such a database could exist for video games, not just uh, with user-submitted tags, but uh, one that like developers and publishers could be uh, motivated to send through based on the tags set up on the website, then people who experience these very real traumas would have a place to go to try and avoid these situations that may potentially be triggering or hard to deal with without even impeaching the art itself. Is that a dumb idea? Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> sorry. I didn't mean to say, no, please, well, tell yeah. me, tell me, tell me, tell me. Well, having an external website where people have to go to try to figure something out is never going to be a solution. Why not? Um, because not everybody's going to have access to the internet when they're starting the thing. Not like not everybody has access to the internet. Period. Like maybe boyfriend dungeon comes out on a cartridge and uh, someone's mom hears that it's fun. They buy it for you, like, uh, and you don't have the internet. You know, um, there's there's uh, there's no bugs because there's cartridge. no bugs right because it came out on a cartridge. No, I I think it's pulling teeth to get developers to even put the stuff that they need to put into the ESRB partially because of the money involved, but also partially because it's like, who cares <laughs> in a way like what you don't have to put content warnings on visual art or movies. And right. I think that it would be, it might potentially be good to do those things, but I just don't think that, okay, maybe, maybe it's not that it's, it's not that it's a bad idea. It's just, it doesn't, it feels unfeasible. And also I don't know that, most people would use it i also just never think make another product is the solution to like yeah anything. yeah it's got to be inside the thing that you've got i think content warnings have to be in in the game in an intro sequence and boyfriend dungeon did have them and i feel like they were pretty adequate but they updated them be more adequate you just got to put them in the front of the game you just got to put them in the game yeah. uh so are we going to start seeing more of that going forward i think so i don't think there's anything wrong with it because it'll get to where the, the kinds of people that, you know, really need to look through those will be looking for stuff. And the kinds of people that don't care, it'll be another screen they bypass. You know, we already bypassed like 10 screens to get to the start screen already. So it'll just be another one of those. It's a new idea, right? The idea of putting content warnings in front of video games. Yeah. And so 
people are going to work out the best practices. And the only way to really work out best practices is to try it and put it out there and see how it goes. And in the case of, you know, Boyfriend Dungeon, putting one out there, getting some feedback that it could be better and then being able to patch it. And if it had been a Coleco Chameleon game, they wouldn't have been able to patch the the content warning. So they'd really be fine. What they did with the content warning is great. They're getting a certain amount of pushback, though, that I have kind of seen of the idea that, um, the player should be able to opt out of that entire subplot um, or right. remove that villainous uh, character from the game, yeah. which I mean, I, I, I think is a pretty much a non-starter. And I hope that, you know, people understand why that that would be um, I mean, an, a, an attack on yeah. people's it's art. It's a different narrative experience. Yeah. 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 That's no good. Um, what if you put it in like the accessibility option so that you knew to look for it there? Oh, that's a whole lot of game design. Put, put that what in the accessibility options? Yeah. An accounting of content warning. Oh, I yeah. thought you meant the removal of that character. No, no okay. I mean, like, if you're someone who is looking, uh, who is looking to avoid particular content, mm-hmm. that would be a place to put it rather than it uh, mm-hmm. showing what? up for everybody. What, who plays what it. problem are you solving? I mean, the, the spoiler problem? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think people are, okay. there's a concern about going into a product and not wanting to know this information going in, wanting sure. to uh, experiencing it from a blank slate. Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, I think it would have to be, I think it would have to be something other than accessibility because it isn't, it isn't going to be an option you can turn on or off m- most of the time. Right. It's just like where the credits are and options. Yeah, you could have a content, right. content warning uh, with, with That's like exactly a little what I'm potential about. spoilers next to it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that could work. Maybe we'll do that in our next That's game. That's more feasible than my website idea, I guess. So actual fix, just real quick, is like platform holders should require it uh, as part of the submission process. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Brandon, do you want to do your question or do you want me to do one of our beloved segments? Uh, I'll do one. Okay. It's very vague, so I hope that this is fine. <laughs> but I'm, uh, I'm curious to hear some of people's favorite side quests because there's this phenomenon that happens in video games where writing a long narrative hard but writing a short one Mm -hmm. pretty easy so sometimes you wind up in your yakuza's and your whatever else's having some little side stories that are super fun little goofy things all self-contained little tiny arcs that last 10 minutes and those are very satisfying so i wonder if anybody's got any of those that they have particularly enjoyed throughout the years in any any sort of game it could be could be one of them old ones one of them retro games it's hard not to just think of yakuza because uh, What's your favorite Yakuza one? I don't know. I don't. I don't really have like a memory of anything. I don't retain uh, things in my brain. Um, but uh, I really enjoyed <laughs> the almost every side quest in those games. And, and in fact, I I reluctantly go through the main quests okay. uh, to get more side quests. Like I just want these games to be these dumb short stories and. I'd rather those dumb short stories, you know, contribute to a narrative than actually be side missions. Yeah, I think um forget which Yakuza it was. I was I was recently making some tweets about because I was looking at the um the trophies on PlayStation. So it was something like 80% of people had not done 10 side quests in uh in one of these yakuza i think it was four. Oh my god wow and i was like why do you play it it? it really blew my whole mind away because i was like 
you know, we I think we would agree here. Like everybody says the side quests are what you do in Yakuza. Like that's what makes it. Um, we all agree that that's why you play Yakuza. And it turns out that uh, it's just completely wrong. <laughs> like 80 something percent <laughs> of people just didn't do it. I don't think gamers like games. I think they just, you know, check off that they played games. Right. Well, we're not talking about gamers. We're talking about metagame. Talking about mm. uh I didn't like The Witcher 3, as I've mentioned on here before, but I did like the side quest where you had to go through a haunted house and figure out what these ghosts were up to. That was pretty good. And the other side quest where uh, where there was another kind of a ghost <laughs> that was going around and turned out there was some skeleton under a well. That was pretty good, too. I like the ones where there's a tiny self-contained mystery that you can solve. And then once it's solved, you're like, yeah, I figured that out. I really love the... Uh drug buying and selling mechanics of grand theft auto chinatown wars i think i spent 10 times as much time on that than i did on the actual game i don't think that's a side mission that's a mini yeah, game it's a mini game yeah all right fair enough yeah a, uh this this is less of a side mission and more of like a peripheral thing you could do but i liked in shining force 3 how and i don't remember the exact specifics of this but how, how i remember it vaguely is at some point you could find this giant egg and then you could collect it. And then when you collected that giant egg, it would hang out in your in your war room where you could see all the characters that you have, which makes you think, oh, man, I could hatch this egg. And then later, at some point, you find a chicken that you can collect. And you're like, oh, man, I bet I could hatch that egg with this chicken. And uh, and then, of course, it is true that you can hatch the egg with the chicken. And then you get this little semi useless character that you can use that was hatched from that egg. But I love that kind of stuff when the game gives you a hint, a very strong indication that maybe you can do this thing and then you can do that thing. I love it. Um, there's a bad side quest in Skyrim I really like. Let's hear it. You're arrested for some crime that you didn't commit and you're thrown into like this slave mine. Uh, all your weapons and stuff are taken away and you just have to work in a mine. But uh, the game forgets that you can use magic. So you could just do that to kill all the guards and get out of there. And I think that was a pretty funny oversight. Yeah, that's pretty good. I like that kind of stuff. <laughs> Derailing my own to topic. You you all saw that there came out an explanation for the uh, follow a fox to treasure. Yes. Yeah, I loved that. That was that ruled. Pretty good. The answer for Look people that, that were not looking at Twitter was so there there had been this long standing rumor, which was mo more or less true, that if you followed a fox, it would go to treasure. The short version of the explanation is that the fox, the only thing that it does is run away. And when it runs away, it's trying to get to something that is a hundred triangles away. And the easiest place to find a hundred triangles is like campsites and other areas that have been specifically um, made to be more ornate than the rest of the 3D mesh in the rest of the world where there's nothing happening. And so it's the fox is just trying to go away to a place where there's more triangles and there tend to be treasures and loot in those places and that's why yeah that so it's so it's true it's true yeah. so it does lead you to yeah, treasure it yeah. does it just it just nobody programmed that mm -hmm. not a side quest but jaffe's thing about the oversight with the magic reminds me of the fantasy star 3 thing are you guys all familiar with it nope not me oh it's great okay so the beginning of fantasy star 3 you're in the town and uh you got to go talk to the king because it's an rpg and uh, you go and a bad thing happens and you get thrown in a dungeon. And uh, what you're supposed to do is wait for someone to let you out because that's uh, that's what RPGs do. But the dungeon is, you know, in code, a dungeon. Uh, there is an item in the Fantasy Star universe that lets you escape dungeons. 
Oh man. And if you if the first thing you do before you go to the castle, you go to a shop and you sell all of the clothes off of your, your body, uh, you can buy an escape pipe uh to escape the dungeon. Um so you get thrown in jail and if oh, you use the escape right. pipe to escape, yeah. you escape the dungeon and you're in kind of a broken state of the game where like you'll talk to NPCs and they just will not say anything to you and stuff like that. Um your your kidnapped wife is just in her room, but she won't talk to you. <laughs> just like my wife. If you go talk to the king, they actually found this bug before they ship. You mm-hmm. go to the, talk to the king. The king will be like, oh, man, uh, we didn't think you'd be that smart, but you broke the game. You have to reset. Nice. Yeah, it's really <laughs> good. Stuff. There's a lot of like uh, instances like that in gaming history where um, they discover the bug and then they can't fix the bug but they will put something in there that's like oh you found yeah. the uh the, the secret you found the secret well bye <laughs> yeah. wing commander is my favorite you know yes, that one that one rules no I'll, I'll explain it real quick which is that uh they had a bug where no matter what when you quit the game there would be like a pop-up error and you had to click okay um like in windows so they just hacked that error to say, thank you for playing Wing Commander. Ah, uh, okay. Nice. No one ever thought anything of it. It was like, oh, yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. <Okay>. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, Wing Commander, for providing me such quality entertainment. Okay. I got a question for you all. What is the Ghostbusters 2 of video game? Okay, I guess we have to define the Ghostbusters 2 because I just rewatched it and uh, I didn't think it was that bad. I-, I liked it. Oh, I agree. Actually, I think it's I think it's yeah, all right. It's a fine movie. But I think I think what Ghostbusters 2 is, is um, they made this comedy that was explicitly sort of for adults, but then, you know, accidentally branded it so well that that children wanted to see, you know what I mean? Like, like, you know, Mm. Ghostbusters 2, Dan Aykroyd gets the blowjob from the ghost, you know what I mean? And it's clearly like a a PG-13 movie for like older teens and adults. But then they got that great Ghostbusters logo and they got Slimer and then it just appeals to kids. And so they made Ghostbusters 2 with Ghostbusters at the birthday party. And, you know, and it was more um, family friendly. You know what? If I guess from my perspective, like what accidentally appealed to um, maybe a different audience than they initially anticipated and then had to follow that up with something that uh, that maybe played more to that that audience that they got. Act Razor 2 is Act Razor 2, the Ghostbusters 2 of of video games. They they created this wonderful fusion of of simulation and action. And then they put it out there and people were like, I love the sword fighting. Really hate the part where you're the doofy little angel dude. Take that out. Yeah, yeah that's that's not. And bad. they were like, we're idiots, so we will. <laughs> I, I was thinking about it from the other the other direction where like movie properties that weren't supposed to appeal to kids. And then they're like, let's make an NES game out of this. Like, uh. Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street. Hudson Hawk. Hudson Hawk, sure. There is a Hudson Hawk NES yep. game somehow. Yeah, yep. and Platoon. Platoon, <laughs> there you go. Platoon is is the perfect version Ridiculous. of that. Ridiculous. Yeah. Um, Let's get that Barton Fink video game going. <laughs> um, but that's not exactly the, no, the question. It's not. No, no, it's not. So, I mean, what comes to mind for me from Chris's explanation is like Call of Duty action figures at Target, but mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. that's not really a video game, though. Um, I think Brandon, that that's a pretty good tangent that might be an answer. I'm not, I'm not ready to rule out that it might be something like okay. that, but I think to be true to ourselves, it's, it's what Chris described, which is that a, a sequel video game that diverges from the first one to appeal to, uh, people who, who they didn't anticipate liking that first one. I'm not hundred percent sold on my own idea here, but if, if we consider 
Ghostbusters 2 as attempting to appeal to an audience that then didn't exactly show up for it and wasn't exactly as pleased as they might have hoped. Well, I think the kids liked we, it. But... We could say any Sonic game after Sonic Adventure, Sonic Adventure 2, is like they continue to pander, that mm. they're finding this audience that they think is there. Like Sonic Boom, for example. They're like, kids like this and adults like this. We'll make some sort of like a little... Um, Maybe it'll be like Adventure Time, but it's with Sonic and it's in 3D and, and it's just people didn't want it. I'm not 100% on this idea, but I feel like it's a it's a direction <laughs> that you could yeah. extend it to. That's pretty good. Maybe like a Metal Gear Survive. I don't know if they were like, oh, we got to we got to pivot the Metal Gear franchise. I think it was more of a spinoff in that yeah. case. Right. Yeah, I, I like the Sonic thing. I think there's something probably there. actually the uh, the banjo simulator that uh, they made out of uh, Phalanx 2. <laughs> I think that's probably it. That's a very niche joke. They, they made that they made that Phalanx game and they put an old man with a playing a banjo <laughs> on the front of it. And all those banjo players were like, oh, man, love that. Love that Phalanx. But yeah, I think I think most like playstation one sequels to 2d games that are now 3d games sure yeah um i don't know we're just stabbing at ideas instead of games uh i think hacktracer 2 is actually a pretty yeah, good, a answer. good answer good answer good answer good answer wow. uh speaking of which i think it's time for us to go into one of our signature segments uh to wrap up the show we're going back to famicom feud Ooh, good uh, segment <laughs> Famicom Feud is my family feud ripoff. I have a uh, preset list of games or whatever that uh, you all have to uh, take turns guessing what's on the board based on the clue. Each of you has three strikes. Whoever is the last remaining or whoever is the last person to get the last remaining item on the board is the winner of the episode. Uh, the order is going to be Chris, then Brandon, and then Frank which gives Frank the greatest opportunity to lose, uh, which I think you'll appreciate. Anyway, I have here today a list of 14 games from the 80s and 90s cited on Wikipedia's page for video games notable for negative reception. Uh, your goal is to try and guess all of them, uh, starting with Chris. Oh, wait, so we can't look it up, then, no, right? Like, you cannot is... look it up. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, good. No, I'm glad you clarified. Yeah, I was so, typing. Uh, so video, video games notable for negative reception. Was that right, it? Chris is first. Jurassic Park Trespasser. Show me Jurassic Park Trespasser. No, I'm afraid that's strike one. Well, now I'm mad at Wikipedia. Remember, these are from the 80s and 90s. Okay. E.T. E.T. Atari 2600. Show me E.T. E.T.'s on the board. Boom. What number is it? The games are listed in chronological order. Okay. So that's number three. Okay. Pac-Man on the Atari 2600. Show me Pac-Man. That's number two. Nice. All right. Uh, Daikatana. Show me Daikatana. Oh, I'm sorry. Not on the list. It was a good answer. That's though. your second strike, Chris. Is it my turn? It's your Son turn. Son of a heck. I'm, I'm, I'm already running dry. I'm, I'm yes, I coming am. down off my high of ET. <clears throat> Notable negative reception. Um, I wonder. No, I don't think. I, I was going to wonder if Deadly Premonition would be on there since it, it was notable for its polarizingness. But we're, that's past the 90s. Past the 90s. Oh, that's well past the 90s, isn't it? Um. Okay, dang. Uh, this is a tough. It's a tough one. There's so many options, and I don't want to be wrong. I want to be. I want to be right. Bubsy. Uh, show me Bubsy. 
<laughs> Bubsy no, 3D that... is on right. the list. Number 12. No, that doesn't count. I meant Bubsy 3D. Fine. I'm counting. You meant Bubsy 1, which had great critical reception despite being <laughs> a bad as, game. As soon as I said Bubsy, I was like, no, Bubsy got... I, what I was going to say was Bubsy 2. More in retrospect, terrible. But... I'm going to the judges and they're allowing Bubsy 3D. Ah, nice. uh, fine. Okay. I, I, I keep not thinking of PlayStation. Um, Show me Cosmic Race. Show me Cosmic Race. No, not on the board. Lame. Chris, you've got one strike left. I have one strike left. Okay. Um, we don't want him out of okay. the game. So like, No, you can help no. Brandon and Frank, but you can't win okay. the game okay. if you get another uh, How about Mortal Kombat for the Super Nintendo? Show me Mortal Kombat. No, not on the list. I take issue. I take issue with this whole list then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Start thinking like Wikipedian <laughs> in order to make this happen. Okay. Negative reception. Hmm. I, I want to say Sonic 3D Blast. I don't, but I don't think it was that negative. I think it may have been after the fact that people were like, this is the only Sonic game we got on the Saturn. So maybe. Uh, no. Yeah, that's probably not a good one. Okay, Atari 2600, E.T. and Pac-Man are, I think, the two big ones. Oh, yeah, and there's going to be one before that. The, those are number two yeah, and number yeah. three. One earlier. There's one there's earlier, earlier than that? Oh. Yeah, there's one earlier. Uh, that's notable for a negative reception? Who was received? Receptioning game. I mean, is it like? Before, is it like? Yeah. I mean, could it be like computer space because people got confused by it? Hence, that's why Bushnell created Pong. Like, I don't think so. I think so. Maybe there was a bad Weird. space. Don't get stuck there. That one's too hard. Okay, okay, okay. Like that one's difficult. Yeah. Okay. So after Atari, and there are two after Bubsy 3D. Okay. Oh, okay. Only two. Um, okay. this is this is not a great answer because I don't think people it was that noted by people but I feel like Bushido Blade was super disappointing to people uh, sorry Bushido Blade 2 show me Bushido Blade 2 not on the list Brandon that's your first strike uh, okay um show me Earthbound oh I like that show me Earthbound not on the list uh, this list sucks this list sucks <laughs> I hate this list okay now it's Kohler's turn to just choose one right uh Kohler can help you guys out I'm, try I'm, I'm trying to think here but clearly all of my ideas were bad negative reception like on the NES this something came out and it was like oh no how about a uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 1 for the NES does somebody mm. want to take that and run with it mm. uh, I don't because Who's reviewing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in 1989? Yeah, well, no. The question is, who's writing this Wikipedia page? Sure, yeah. sure. Yeah, okay, it, okay. It could be retroactive. So the reception would have been GamePro and and video games, computer entertainment. That's about it. Up to you whether you want to take Chris's answer or come up with your own. I don't like it. I'm not sold on TMNT because I think that people liked that enough. I was going to go for Bart versus the Space Mutants. This isn't my final answer, but I'm also feeling like the people of the 90s would just be like do you like bart here's his video game you know <laughs> yeah here's it, your bart that's cart. my memory yeah um i do have an nes one in mind that it's not great but it, it okay, might work so I, uh, but it's I, it's got to be for yeah. me yeah okay so. so i gotta i gotta i gotta figure something out here 80s and 90s like i'm i'm trying to find genesis games because that's what i that's what i know but i can't think of ones where people were like this sucks on account of how much the Genesis rules that makes it difficult for 16 bit. I was just thinking, yeah, well, there was controversy over the Mortal Kombat's. Right. I remember Time Killers on the Genesis was considered to be like this, you know, Kusoge, like maybe that. Yeah, it could be Time Killers, could be the the Doom 32X port. Um, I, I mean, I have an idea that I'll give you because I don't want to use it. I don't know if that's allowed. <laughs> no, uh, you can go for it if you want to uh, rise of the robots. Oh, Rise okay. of the Robots. Yeah, that was pretty bad. Pretty notable. 
okay, I'm going to I'm going to hold on to that one and then I'm going to go with oh no, never mind. People like <laughs> I was going to go with uh um what is it? Race driving on the NES and it really? was so you know what I'm talking about? Or is it hard drive? What was that one? Hard driving never came out. On I don't think NES, race. So. Did, did race driving? Come no, this? neither did race driving. No. Well, that's probably why I got such a negative reception. Then. <laughs> <laughs> um, Brendan, I need an answer. I gotta choose something. I know. I know. Friday the 13th on the NES. Yeah. Wait. Okay. I'm going to say Street Fighter 2010. No. <laughs> Show what? me Street Fighter 2010. Oh, come on. Oh, that's not on the Bad list. Idea. It was Brandon. Yeah, we're was, giving yeah. you all this like potential good ideas, and you're like, I'm gonna go with the worst idea possible. I'm gonna take one off the board. Friday the thirteenth was on the oh, list. Nice. That's number five. Yeah, I thought that was a good one. So well, I went with Street Fighter because I remember people being upset that it wasn't a Street Fighter game. Street Fighter two wasn't a thing. Oh, Street yet. Fighter two wasn't a, wasn't a thing yet. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Frank, you've got one strike. I tried to left. figure out the most logical NES game was what I did. And here's what I came up with. Ghostbusters. Show me Ghostbusters. Not on the list. Right. Okay. I'm the last one. You are the winner, but you also have one strike left. Uh, if you want to try to clear the board here. Well, considering uh, it took me half the entire episode to come up with my last one, um, <laughs> I'll try to make this a little faster. What do we got? What's disappointing? Got to be some RPGs that people really hate out there. Is that something? No. You don't have to think too hard about this. You've already I won. Keep, I keep feeling like there's a racing game that I, I'm just missing. Like some 3D racing game. Like, uh, like what's that Bullfrog one? Grand Chaser? No, what's it called? Brandon, I think that your, um, your particular affinity for... Um, <laughs> Uh, obscure and yeah. odd video games here is actually like hamstringing yeah. you is is absolutely ruining you for this game i'm gonna help you there are no racing games on this okay so it needs to be it needs to be something something popular uh strider 2 show me strider 2 no okay. not on the list well, i am looking at this list and yeah we've all failed okay what is it what is today. it give us the give us <laughs> the, the full list here all right that that particular okay you want the full list or yeah, yeah just do the full list i'm gonna shout out a number and uh frank you say it okay uh 1.1 that is custer's revenge uh, of course 1.4 i hate this being on here dr jekyll and mr hyde on the nes that is not a notable game no. in any way. Uh, 1.5 is, of course, Friday the 13th. Moving on to the 90s, 2.1. Uh, this is one that uh, we probably should have gotten, Action 52. Oh, fair. No, who cares about that? 2.2. <laughs> uh, Night Trap. I don't agree that it had a ton of negative reception. It was. I guess it had a negative reception from Congress. Yeah. Right, right. okay. But then so did Mortal Kombat. Yeah. 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 Uh, 2.3. So this is one where we should have thought more like Wikipedia. Um, yeah. The two Zelda games on the CDI. Uh, I would have yeah. counted any of them. Fair enough. Uh, 2.4. I might as well throw this in too. Hotel Mario, which is actually a fine game on the CDI. Uh, 2.5. Uh, very meme especially with limited run games. Plumbers don't wear ties. Sure. Totally uh, not 2. notable. 2.6. Uh, one that we could have gotten theoretically. Jack Boo. Oh, that's true. Uh, 2.7 was the questionable Bubsy 3D. 2.8. 2.8 is one that I thought about and said, nah. Mortal Kombat Mythologies Sub-Zero. Oh. And finally, 2.9. This is where we all failed. Superman 64. Um, oh, yeah, okay. Somebody should have gotten Superman yeah, 64. True. Yeah. But uh, congratulations, Brandon. You sucked the least out of everyone who sucked this episode. Probably because I got two easy ones. 
and <laughs> yeah uh this is the time where we do recommendations and plugs uh talk about the stuff you're working on if you want to do that uh but what you absolutely should do is give some recommendations to our listeners about what they should do between this episode and the next to entertain and enrich themselves uh, i'll go real quick which is um I might have said this, so I'm sorry if I've said this already, but we got Paramount Plus and uh, have really been enjoying the recent Twilight Zone series, which is uh, often executive produced, I believe, and sometimes written by a former insert credit uh, person, Heather Ann Campbell. She's in there. Are those new Star Treks? Should I bother with those? I thought we were talking about this. No. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, because you want Star Trek. You don't want... so. These are two shows that are fine. They're okay TV yeah. shows, uh, but they're not Star Trek shows. They are shows within the Star Trek universe. Okay, that's what I've been figuring out. So, okay, I won't. I'm, I'm gonna leave it alone. Okay, I have some recommendations. Uh, one is not a recommendation, but just an anecdote I wanted to tell. Well, which is that I was uh, talking to my insurance company, State Farm, about uh, renter's insurance stuff. They were like, "What are you insuring? Like jewelry or whatever?" And I was like, "Oh, actually, it's video games." <laughs> and uh, my insurance agent was saying so you know you have these games maybe you need to list them out and so that like if you have this for example super rare version of blue stinger on the dreamcast you can make sure that it's secure i was like wow dude really came up with blue stinger on the dreamcast as his example wow. <laughs> he came, i i wasn't saying that that's him coming up with it so uh that was incredible that's amazing yeah i love that um Dang. i just i didn't expect to hear blue stinger coming out of anyone's mouth but mine <laughs> you know outside of this podcast i don't expect to hear blue stinger um and then in terms of recommendations i recommend that you vote if you live in california please vote no on mm. recalling newsom i don't like that guy very much but uh if we recall him there's a very very high chance that we get a uh a republican vote governor who got like 250 votes because there are 50 people on the ballot and uh then they're gonna rescind all covid restrictions and we're gonna die so uh Please vote no on recalling Newsom if you live in California. Thanks. We'll get rid of them properly later, folks. L like next year when we can vote properly. Literally next year. So just keep him around. Just let him do his thing. Whatever. Let him do it. He did a fine response. He's not, he's not going to kill us. He's just going to be a terrible person. The end. You know, I'm reading uh, this. You know what? I, I think it's going to be of interest to to you, um, uh, both uh, you and you and Frank, Brandon, uh, and, and that... Um, I'm reading the galleys right now of a book that I never anticipated would be coming out. Volume two of Stephen Kent's The Ultimate History of Video Games. Well, did not expect uh, that to happen, but it did happen. And it's coming out in a few days. And it's fun. It's um, it is really a it's it's literally just sort of picking up in this, you know, like exactly what his first book was, which was it does not really go into the history of game development or or or. Um, at least so far, like indie games or anything, it's really just like a it talks to rich people. It is a re yes, it is a it is a recounting of the console game industries back and forth, um, starting with the the PS2 original Xbox generation and, and going to the modern day. And uh, there's some there's some interesting new behind the scenes stories, but it's really about like. If you care about like the business of the PlayStation versus Xbox versus the Wii and being reminded of things like, um, you know, the Red Ring of Death and stuff like that and rereading all of that kind of stuff. It's a it's a it's a fun, breezy read so far. So look out for that if that's if that's your thing. Yeah, that's fun. That, that actually yeah. in a way 
that feels like a niche now <laughs> talking about stuff with that limited framework and so it actually kind of appeals to me more than it really it, yes it does it does it it it, it this, this book knows what it is and what it is not welcome back welcome back kent I am uh, going to recommend a comic book, which is something that I've resolved to do every week, and uh, we'll see how long I keep it up. I'm going to recommend don't read comics, because comics suck. Frank is wrong. Uh, please don't listen to Frank. Comics uh, are good. Comics, are bad. comics have always been good. Comics will always They're be bad. good. They're real bad. Um, this week, I'd like to recommend The Many Deaths of Layla Starr by uh, Ram V and Felipe Andrade. It's a comic that takes place in Mumbai and is about a death goddess who's been downsized because the person who discovers immortality has just been born. And it goes in some very interesting directions. If you're looking for a cool comic, that one is just about to wrap up with its fifth and final issue. So good time to get on board. So is she like an eternal or a mutant? She's more like an eternal, I guess. Okay. I would also like to recommend that if you're listening to this show on any platform where you can subscribe to or review podcasts, that you do that. Uh, it's a great way to keep the algorithms pushing us upwards and forwards. You could also go to patreon.com slash insert credit, as aforementioned, where you could become a patron to submit your own topics. Get our regular episodes one day early. Because color do it. One day early? Yeah, there we go. One day early. <laughs> and even access monthly bonus episodes and other exclusive content. You can also join us on forums.insertcredit.com and follow us on Twitter for our own personal updates and projects. The show is at Insert Credit. I'm at Alex Jaffe. Frank is at Frank Cifaldi. Brandon is at Necrosofty. Chris, what's your Twitter? It's Kobunheat. K-O-B-U-N-H-E-A-T is my Twitter handle. It's awful and I will never change it. I love it. Great. I love it. Uh, the show is edited by Esper Quinn with music by Kurt Feldman. Uh, next week is episode 200, so make sure to tune in for that for something we'll figure out. Uh, once more, I'm Alex Jaffe. I'm Frank Cifaldi. I'm Brandon Sheffield, and I just accidentally broke a, a clothes hanger that I was messing with. I feel really bad about Whoops. it. Oops. Oh, and Chris Collar, you have to Anyone say yourself. Here? Sorry, I wasn't supposed to. You, you people, you just sort of assume that I know exactly what I'm supposed to be doing here. I don't know. All right. <clears throat> It's intuitive. We all signed up. You're the off. hosts. I'm just the, I'm the yes, guest. Yes, and you're with us. You're part you of the make show. Me, you don't make the guest be the last person to, to sign off at the end of the show. We, we do. Um, all right. Uh, uh, that's what we've been doing for 200 episodes. Which I have not listened to. You've okay, been in one. You've, you've heard that you're one. not required to listen. Um, here's what we're going to do, Chris. We're all going <laughs> to sign off at the end. We're going to uh -huh, say our uh -huh. names. Uh, first okay. it'll be me, okay. then it'll be Frank, then it'll be Brandon. Just like the order that we introduced ourselves in the top yeah. of the episode, it's gonna repeat that way okay, here at okay. the bottom. Uh, so after Brandon says his name, get ready to say, I'm Chris Kohler. And once you say that, I will do my signature sign-off for this informal season of Insert Credit. Uh, so that's what's gonna happen <laughs> right now. Esper, keep all of this in. Once more, I'm Alex Jaffe. I'm Frank Cifaldi. I'm Brandon Sheffield. And I'm Chris Kohler. And your game has now been saved. Very good. Thank Thanks. you, Chris. That was, that was that was fantastic. I love it. I love it too.